Welcome back to another WSL episode and another week without a Manchester City win. That's going to be our introduction until that changes. Watch it be the next time. So just one more time of having that introduction. Um, but I'm your host, Alexi Baceta, and I'm joined by the usual Jesse Parker Humphreys and Abdullah Abdullah to round up this weekend's WSL action. Just the 17 goals this week across the board. What did you two think about this weekend's games, Abdullah? Goals, a lot of fun. I mean, the fact that we get to see seventeen goals is uh, is no uh, is no is no mean feat. And um, I think we're starting to finally see where teams are lying in the table, where we think people are going to start ending up, unless something dramatic happens. And I think we're at a point in the season where you know four or five games in, where teams are starting to settle, and we're starting to see who's kind of going to be up there and who's probably not going to make it. Um, so I'm, I'm, I like it. Just another international break coming in, so which is the only annoying part. Jesse? Yeah, it was really good. I really enjoyed the Manchester derby. I thought it was one of the best games I'd watched this season. Uh, cheered for a Man United goal, which was a strange experience. And then Chelsea was all a bit nervy, so I didn't enjoy that as much on the Sunday. I would assume not. I would assume not. Obviously, it took a, a while to, to score, but we'll get into that just a bit later. Um, but obviously, Tottenham lost for the first time this season. Rianne Skinner did not get this one right. Jesse's laughing. I'm putting that one out there. So yeah, Tottenham lose their first game of the season. Now, they lost to Brighton, um, another very important coach in this podcast, Hope Powell. In Hope Powell, we trust. And I think Jesse trusts in Hope Powell even more now. But that sees Chelsea rise into second place in the WSL table. Um, Tottenham and Chelsea are equal in points, but Chelsea has a better goal difference. Not really a surprise there. But Arsenal, oh, the lovely Arsenal. Now, you know, last season it was all about Chelsea and how good they were in the WSL. Now we switched it. Now we're talking about Arsenal, which I love, obviously. Um, but obviously Arsenal keep their perfect start to the season. They sit at the top of the table, um, 19 goals for and just two against. And that's two of the goals were from Chelsea at the start of the season. They've kept four consecutive clean sheets since. Not too bad, I would say. Um, but yeah, at the moment, Arsenal sit three points ahead of Chelsea, who sit in second and 11 points ahead of Manchester City. 11 points at the start of the season is the gap between Arsenal and Manchester City. What the hell? Anyway, speaking of Manchester City, um, a bit of a save for Gareth Taylor and Man City, perhaps in a 2-2 draw against Manchester United in the derby. Obviously, George Stanway red card in the 35th minute. We'll get to that a bit later, but that's that was kind of a, a huge part of this derby, I think mostly because of disappointing that Manchester United couldn't really take advantage of that. But this was City's fourth consecutive game without a win in the WSL. Eight points off a top three spot at the moment. Obviously, it's just the beginning of the season. Yes, yes, yes. But it is a big gap. Everyone knows that already. But yeah, it was a pivotal moment as Georgia Stanway's unnecessary, very, very unnecessary red card in the 35th minute. Um, I mean, it's simple. It, we all know. Uh, shout out to Flo, who got to write about this in The Athletic. And she did it a lot more professionally than maybe I would have when talking about Georgia Stanway. Um, I mean, it's... Georgia Stanway is really good in the attack and the feistiness that she has in her is really good for an attacking player when you want those 50-50 duels, when you want to win those duels. But now that she's forced to play as a fullback, it's a risk that any manager takes when you put a player like Georgia Stanway, who, as Flo mentions in an article, just throw back to when she pulled Tobin Heath's hair playing against the national team. She's not a defender. It's it's as straightforward as that. And Gary Taylor has been forced to play as a fullback with all the injuries and everything. And maybe his inability to, to shift anything else tactically in his favor. But yeah, just just minutes after Stanway got sent off, Funny Shaw put City in the lead, surprisingly, from a header. Uh, I thought it was a really good cross from Demi Stokes, a really good curveball and, and really easy header for Bunny Shaw. Maybe a bit po- uh, poorly defended by United in that because Shaw was pretty much alone. Close to range header, she's never going to miss that. And that joy for Manchester City lasted until the 72nd minute when Lucy Sandforth equalized from a really cheeky back heel. That really put a smile on my face when I saw that. And then just three minutes later, Alessia Russo put United in front. Um, but obviously, 
United couldn't really hold on to that. And Ellen White saved Manchester City and Gareth Taylor from further ridicule in the 79th minute. Um, Jesse was happy about this because Jess... Jess Park, Jesse, close enough. Um, it was a rocket from Jess Park and Mary Earps just about got her fingertips to it and pushed it onto the crossbar. Um, but then White got the rebound in the six-yard box and it was really easy to happen to equalize. Really unfortunate for Manchester United. But Jesse, why couldn't Manchester United capitalize on their player advantage? Yeah, I think there was kind of a couple of things that that happened after the sending off and and also that kind of happened before the sending off that then influenced United's ability to capitalise on it. I think when the sending off happened, it felt like only then did City kind of realise that like shit had hit the fan and they really needed to do something. Uh, And it felt like there was suddenly a lot more like vigor and enthusiasm about them as a side than we'd seen in in almost any of their games this season which was a bit of a surprise because I was like I feel like you should have already hit this point in a number of other games um but I thought Lauren Hemp had a fantastic game um Hemp versus Batia was like an absolute rivalry for the ages it was so good to watch um but I, I think Hemp did more or less get the better of her in the end but I think also what you saw kind of regardless of the red card. But when City were out of possession, they were kind of dropping into this 4-1-4-1 and United kind of had their midfielders closer to their defenders. So behind that bank of four, so Zellum and Gronin. And they were really struggling to kind of get any control of the ball when it was there. Um, Zellum just felt so nervy when she did get the ball. She was just like giving it away quite a lot. Uh, Skinner kind of shifted this in the second half and, and pushed Gronin further up the pitch and, and this helped a bit as well. And then the other thing that I think was kind of unfortunate for United is Leah Golton had like a number of offsides kind of unfairly called on her when, so it was really weird. United and City were basically employing the same tactic, which was to ping the ball to their left winger. So it was Hemp running at Batier and then Golton running at what was Stanway and then became kind of Janine Becky. But because Golton get, kept kept getting flagged offside, it felt like United were moving away from the tactic, even though it was working really well. And I felt like United got put off by those offsides and started going more centrally, which just didn't work as well for them. So I did feel a bit sorry for them because those calls were really unfair and Golton was doing really well in that position. But yeah, and then it's just kind of, it, it's poor defending really on, on both goals. There's, there's no way you should, you know, there's no way Jess Park should have had that much space when you're, two one up and you've got a player up on the pitch you know and and that leaves it open for Ellen White to run in and get that tap in and and even the marking on on Bunny Shaw you know she's a very tall player I imagine she's very hard to mark but again just to leave her kind of unmarked in the box was was a bit strange yeah that is true and Abdullah kind of similar question for you did this match go as expected was a 2-2 draw kind of not a surprising result in this in this situation, but what did surprise you in this match and what did disappoint you? You know, in, in hindsight, I think the match did go as expected. I think a 2-2 draw with all the drama that happened, I think is a fair result given where the two teams are in the, um, you know, in their respective seasons right now. Obviously, United have three wins, a draw and a loss now, and then City are just on this downward spiral. They haven't won a game in three. So I think at the end of the day, this result is fair all things considered on the day, because I think it was, uh, in some sense, a game of two halves, not exactly, but uh, where I think I think City had a, a little bit of a better first half until the red card, and then um, I think United grew into the game as they as they had the, you know, some, you know the man advantage. Um, I think what I liked about it, and not really a surprise, but what I was really enjoying was, and I agree with Jesse, with the, with the, the ping diagonals into the left winger, but what I liked is when they played into the half spaces, I thought Ella Toon is the 10, uh, initially was fantastic. I thought she was one of the best players on the pitch for me. You know, the way she was dropping into pockets of space and and kind of, you know, giving the run around to, to City's defensive midfielders. And, then, you know, she had a couple of shots that went just outside the box uh, that, that were on target. We were, were absolutely fantastic. And I think it's similar to what we've seen her do as a false nine in the beginning of the season. But I think playing as a number 10, so behind Alessia Russo, who I also think, again, gives United so much as this focal point up front running the channels, holding the ball up. And I think we saw that with the second goal, but I guess it was a bit of a scrappy second goal, but it just showed the fact that when you have someone who can hold the ball up and is a focal point, you can you can get a goal out of out of them. So I think that surprised me. I think the disappointment and 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 
this is going to come back to something maybe I had said earlier. I think I think the the double pivot disappointed me in this game as uh, for of, of Gronin and, and Zellum at least in the first half for the most part. It almost felt like they were being bypassed from both sides. It's like United weren't actually playing through them, but then City were also trying were, were getting past them too easily, and it's almost as if they were just like links in between. Whether okay, if, if the ball happened to come to them, they'd recycle it forward. But I really didn't feel like they they established themselves as much as they should have as a double pivot. Um, you know, I think there needs to be a reshuffle there. There needs to be a rethink. I still I still rate um, Zellem in, in that defensive midfield position, but probably not in the best of form right now. Uh, so I stand by what I said on Twitter the other day for whoever's listening and whoever is uh, trying to call me out. So just say, I still rate her. I'm just saying that she was she's not been great. So I agree on that part, you know. Um, no, but I think, you know, bringing in uh, Borisa and then maybe pushing in, you know, standing forth, I think I think there needs to be a, a balance, but I, I like Ella Toon as a 10. So maybe finding a combination with Toon and two more, Gronin plus one would be the best way to go. So I think overall that was great. The shot for the second goal from Parks was un- unbelievable. I think that in itself deserved the goal. I-, I won't lie, it was it was that good of a shot. But yeah, like like Jess said, too much space given. And um, you know, I think I think there is a platform for this United side to go forward and 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 really make the season something better than it than it was. There there are parts of Skinner's tactics that aren't great, and there's still things he needs to work on. But you know, there are parts of this that are that are good. I and also another shout out to Hannah Blundell. I think she had a she had a good game from left back. You know, coming down the wing. I think that that the the cross for the second goal, that interchange uh, uh, in the in the left inside channel to play her in. I thought she was a menace all around and. Finally, after seeing her like getting a run of games, I feel like she's finally showing the form that she did before, before her injury. And, you know, and she's coming into her own now. Yeah, I do have to agree that I do like Ella Tuna in that number 10 role uh, quite a lot. I think she's a lot more efficient than when she's deployed on the wing. She's obviously really good on the wing and 1v1s is really good. She can attack. And then with Ona Batia, for example, they interchange quite well. But I think that number 10 role suits Ella Tuna so, so well. And I think her intelligence maybe gets overlooked sometimes when you put her on the wing. Um, as a 10, she's really good at creating space. And I think she's she's working really, really well with Alessia Russo, who's that player that's going to get into those spaces and, and make those runs and, and get her body in and pretty much just get any ball into the box. Um, so I think that partnership can potentially bloom. But Jesse, I guess we have to talk about it, don't we? Georgia Stanway red card. Thoughts on that, which I don't really think can be debatable. It was just an awful challenge, just studs up. My only, I saw that, and my first thought was just, I really hope that she's not wearing metal studs because if not, Leah Galton's bruise is going to last for the next like three months, probably. Um, but obviously, we do have to talk about maybe just a little bit um, her playing in this defensive position for City, obviously because of injuries. But what do you think about it? I just feel really sorry for George. For Georgia Stanway, because not not because of the red card, because it was clearly a red card. But I just feel like she gets all this like shunted around all this time. And I think it's just so clearly hindered her development. We've kind of seen her play as a false nine, as a 10, as an eight, as a right winger, as a right back. And you're just like, this is a player who's turning 23 in January. I just looked that up. I didn't know off the top of my head. Uh, (laughs) I don't keep an encyclopedic knowledge of um, uh, players' birthdays. Um, But it just feels like she's now stuck and like she hasn't really developed in any one position in that time. And I think, you know, even at right back, I just feel like, I think... People like her in that position because she's fast and she works hard. And so people think, well, she's going to defend at a certain level and then she's also going to get us up the pitch. And I, you know, clearly from City's problems and injuries, I can see why she's playing there now. But it feels like she's become this option for like, she's been this option for a longer period of time, which I just don't really understand. For me, I actually like her most when she played as an eight at points last season. I felt like that was a good balance between kind of her tenacity, her ball winning ability and her attacking ability without putting too much pressure on her to score because I don't feel like she's an amazing finisher. And I think that's what's like always held her back in that kind of, in that kind of forward line. Um, So I'd like to see her play in, in midfield more. We've obviously also seen her do that for England, which I again, kind of liked. Um, I think that is where our best position is, but I just feel like whilst she's being shunted around between four or five different positions, none of that. She's not going to get good at any of them because it's so hard that she is still a young player. She's played a lot of football, but 
it's so hard to like learn a position well when you're being moved around. And I think that's why you see the, you know, the red cards and the kind of bad behavior happening. Cause you're like, well, you just feel sorry for her. Cause I'm just like, when you're playing someone new each week, like how, how can you appreciate like where you are on the pitch and what you're supposed to be doing? Definitely. And we can kind of grow on that in terms of Garrett Taylor and Man City, obviously with a lot of injuries, quite a few players are playing out of position, potentially, We'll give the benefit of the doubt that Garrett Taylor hasn't deployed what he wants to deploy, and that's why Man City haven't been the greatest. Um, but Abdullah, you know, Garrett Taylor has a little over three weeks now into the next WSL match. Of course, injuries pending until then. What do you think he needs to reflect on from a coach's point of view, tactical point of view, analysis point of view, to start the next WSL games refreshed and renewed? I think you said it right. I think he needs his players back first for uh, full fitness. Uh, I think he needs to get anything. I think he needs at least a 90, 95% squad to pick from and then start deploying players. I mean, it's pretty obvious we've said it, but deploy players in their best positions and then build off of that. I think once we start seeing that happen, I think then we'll start seeing just a generally overall a better city side. And, you know, if you're playing, just just said about Stanway, when she's playing at right back, midfield right wing wherever every week it's a different position there's no momentum there's no way for her to be able to settle into a position and kind of understand the intricacies of where she has to be in the movements because while the tactics you know per se might be the exact same every week she's half confused like well wait hold on i gotta make this run from a right wing position but i'm playing right back this week so i gotta remember to make this run so i think having that fixed first i think is good having natural players i think you know, deciding on, I think, you, yeah, and I think that also then helps him decide who his first choice 11 is. And once those first choice 11 start playing together, I think it'll be, it'll be, um, it'll be good. And I think, and then on top of that, I think maybe have a plan B, maybe have a, or a tactic where maybe he can play Ellen White and Khadija Shaw together, maybe in a full four, two, for example, if you're chasing a game, rather than throwing on a center back and playing them up front, you play the two strikers together, but have something cohesive that works with, you know, White and Shaw together so that when they do switch to it with 20 minutes to go, 15 minutes to go, the team aren't scrambling. They're like, okay, we have a plan B. We know we can revert to this and something is there. So I think I think the break will do him good. Hopefully there's no more for him. He's hoping there's no more injuries and um, everybody can come back. And then there is a fresh start for them, uh, you know, with these three weeks. And Jesse, some of the question for you, but focusing on Manchester United, we mentioned three wins, one drawn, one loss so far this season. So it's not it's not a terrible start to the season, but I think we can say that Mark Skinner has struggled to keep up with momentum that Casey Stoney implied last season against the top sides, particularly. What do you think that Mark Skinner needs to reflect on these three weeks? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, to get one point from six from Chelsea and City at home is probably not quite what you'd have liked given the nature of the Chelsea defeat and the nature of the City draw. But I think, you know, broadly there's been a lot of progress within this side. I think Skinner's now kind of got his defence down. I really like what he's done with inverting Blundell and Batia. I think it works really, really well. Um, seeing those kind of attacking triangles that come, you know, with Toon or Rousseau kind of moving across to, to play in the three with with the either left-sided or right-sided players. So I think that's kind of sorted. I think his questions is, you know, this was the first time we saw Rousseau and then Toon as the 9 and 10 with, you know, Goldson on the left, Hansen on the right, whether he wants to stick with that. Um, I think Hansen, I think I've said this before, but I think Hansen's a good player without being an absolutely amazing player. I think it tells you a lot of how much of United's attacking play came down that left side, which I think is a shame, especially when you do have Batier on the right. Like I feel like that's still something you want to feel like is involved. Um, but I think the the real question mark is, is over that too, if he's going to kind of play this 4-2-3-1, because I think in, in all these games, we've not really seen a super effective midfield from United. And I don't feel like Skinner knows either who he wants to play in those positions. You know, like Wilderboer Reese has started at points in the season, so Staniforth. Um, and then you kind of had Gronin Zellum in this one. Um, and then also how he wants them to play. As I said, in this first half, they were they were sat quite far back, but they were pretty ineffective at getting getting on the ball and moving the ball forward. So I think it's it's those two positions which he really has to think about. But I think broadly, you know, 
can be positive. I think the only thing I would also say as well is, you know, Skinner's really slowed down Man United's style of play. Um, and I wrote about this last week. And I don't think that's a bad thing in and of itself. You know, most of the top sides in WSL you see play slower than than everyone else. But what the really best sides do is they string long passing sequences together. And that's something Man United aren't currently doing. They're not holding onto the ball, even as they're playing slowly. And I think we saw against City when they started to speed it up, they looked a lot better. So I think being if deciding if you want to play slowly making sure you can hold onto the ball and perhaps accepting if you're not actually very good at that, if you don't have the players with the skill to do that, like speeding things up a little bit more. Moving on to the best team in the WSL right now. Ida Ball is still going strong in the WSL because we don't mention the Barcelona loss. Um, we'll get to that on a different podcast. But Arsenal 3, Everton nil. Five wins from five and top of the table for Arsenal. Something I didn't think I would be saying so early in the season considering last season and the change of coach. But their latest victim victims are Willie Kirk's Everton, which again, a bit disappointing, but we'll get into the, the details of it. Um, but obviously highlight of the afternoon was Frida Manum's shots. I mean... Wow. Um, that was her first WSL goal. Of course, of course, her first uh, Arsenal goal came against Barcelona, which was a bit of a shame considering the scoreline of that one. But it was just a stunner of a shot just outside the box. Um, smoked Izzy Christensen in the box, got around to her right foot and she just blasted it. And there was nothing that Sandy MacGyver could have done about that. And also worth mentioning was Katie McCabe's cheeky volley and celebration. I think the volley itself was good, but the celebration, she just puts her hand on her waist and just stands there and then proceeds to lift Mano Ibuchi up. Like if it was, a, if it was Mana, like, I don't know, just that celebration was just, I was just like, that. that's Katie McCabe kind of wrapped up into one celebration, I think. But I think confidence is just oozing out of McCabe. Arsenal also, but McCabe particularly, she shifts between obviously left back and left wing. And she's really, really good in both positions, which is absolutely ridiculous. But in either position, she's really influential and helpful in Arsenal's attack and the way she plays, the way she goes up the pitch, carries the ball. She has an XG per 90 of 0.23. 92% dribble success rate, 57% duels won, 57% of her shots are on target, and a 78% passing accuracy. I would hate to be the one who does these stats for Katie McCabe because her two positions are just so, so different in terms of looking at the strengths and weaknesses and the stats of all that. But yeah, Jesse, I mean, how does one describe Katie McCabe right now? Yeah, I think it says a lot about how much she's been used by Idaval this season. I feel like when... You know, Joe was kind of moving on. Steph Catley was coming back. There was a bit of a question about where McCabe was going to play. You know, Arsenal have plenty of uh, players to play in those front three positions. And obviously McCabe been playing at left back. Um, but, you know, it, she's been so essential to everything Arsenal's done this season. And yeah, as you say, Alex, I think, you know, confidence is the right word. To, to go for a, a second lob in two weeks kind of says it all, though. We'll say, I think Sandy McIver should have saved this one. So I'm not going to give McCabe as much credit as, as she got for last week because I thought that one was a lot better. But yeah, you know, and it's quite terrifying, I think, to, to watch McCabe and Heath play together. And I think what it allows Arsenal to do really nicely is when you've got Miedema, who we know kind of likes to drop back a bit, dropping back, if can kind of move centrally, and then you've got McCabe coming down that, that left wing as well. And I think that's like quite a terrifying attacking rotation to be able to, to pull out the bag. But um, yeah, she's having a great season and I'm, I'm really happy for her. Yeah, we'll get onto it later and, and kind of Willie Crick's comment on that. But a lot of times Viv Miedema ended up on the left wing, uh, Tobin Heath and Central and Katie McCabe somewhere and all that. It's ridiculous when you talk about it. It doesn't make sense when you talk about it as like you see it on the pitch. Um, but Abdullah, five games in five wins so far for Jonas. In those five games, there's been four different variations of the front three. And Jesse like, talked about it there with Heath, Miedema, McCabe. Uh, but then you also have Nikita Paris, Beth Mead. Against Everton, we saw Tobin Heath on the left, Viv in the middle, and Nikita Paris on the right. What front three has worked best together for you so far? I think it's the I think it's it's definitely one obviously Miedema plays herself in the team. There's no question about it. I think Beth Mead has done enough the, at the start of the season to say that she's probably one of the best wingers that, that also have right now. So I would say she has to be included there, whether it's on the left or right. I think Nikita Paris is 
she's not done as well as I thought she would, you know, half down to the fact that she hasn't actually played as many games as you'd think. She hasn't started every game. I think that's, again, down to the fact that Beth Mead has had such a great start to the season. I would actually end up saying that you play Beth Mead, Miedema, and McCabe as your front three, and I think that's the best thing that also can do with Mead on the right, McCabe on the left, and, and Miedema up front, because then you get this mixture of McCabe giving you width on the left, and she's also got that little bit of the defensive acumen playing playing as a left back. Uh, so you get extra cover there. Mead is in the form of her life, so literally this literally the reason why she's really good at one v ones and on the counter attack. I think she showed it against Chelsea and she showed it in the other games that she's played in. And Miedema's Miedema, whether she plays as a nine, she drops into spaces, links up with whether it's Little Manum or whoever's playing in midfield. So I mean, I think for me that's probably my go to front three based on form right now. And uh, and I think I think you get a lot of. Um, tactical flexibility with those three uh with those three over there trademark of mick mead emma i thought that was genius i thought it was really funny when i did it um anyway that's actually the only front three that has repeated so far this season in the wsl for Jonas. it was also the front three that started in that 5-0 win over man city um so i think Jonas might agree with you but obviously as we mentioned i mean the quality of wingers that arsenal has i think any front three would just be absolutely ridiculous and as jesse mentioned really frightening to come up against um but another player that i do want to focus on just a little bit in this episode is frida manum uh, she scored a stunner in this match which isn't surprising considering the caliber of player that she is i mean just from five matches you can tell how smart she is and she's young as well so there's so much growth just uh still waiting to happen but in this match she played next to mane wabuchi and kim little in the midfield operating mainly as a defensive midfielder in place of Leah Valti. Um, but then also, then she goes and gets his goal at the top of the opposition box. And we've seen Kim Little being pushed forward more than where she usually played last season. Maybe it is because Jordan Obson isn't there and that's kind of the area where Jordan would thrive on most of the time. Um, but it's been working really well. So I'm curious to see what Jonas does when Jordan is, is fully, fully fit again. But yeah, it's, I mean, Freedom Manum. And I think with Mana and Kim, it works really, really well because the intelligence of these three players is absolutely ridiculous. Um, so obviously, as we mentioned, Manum just gets gets to go up. Kim Little drops. It's the other way around. Mana Wabuchi goes up. Kim Little drops. It's absolutely ridiculous. So I think these three has worked really, really well in terms of intelligence and movement. But Jesse, was this midfield with new players, the refreshment exactly like what Arsenal needed? And what are your best three midfielders at Arsenal right now? I mean, I don't think Everton are like the biggest test on Arsenal's midfield. So I think playing these three kind of players works very well because Everton just kind of did give them freedom and space without putting much pressure on them. I think when you're talking about best three, you know, Leah Volte had a knock, so that's why she wasn't in the squad. And I think you, you've got to kind of keep her there as your as your holding midfielder if you're playing against really elite opposition, let's say. Um, I have been really impressed with Frida Manum and I feel like she can do so much. I kind of can't yet figure out what she does best. Um, and I do think, you know, she's shown like that she can be very good defensively. She can be great going forward. You know, I, I watched her play in the Arsenal Chelsea preseason game and I was just like, this player is like ridiculous and she looks so unassuming as well. Um, so, you know, I think Arsenal are, this is what's so crazy about this Arsenal team is that they've gone from feeling like they've got no options to having like so many options in, in those positions. And I guess maybe I'm like dodging the question a bit um, about like a best three in the Arsenal midfield, but I think this is true for the midfield and attack. What's really exciting is having loads of different profiles of players that you can then use depending on who you're playing against. And I think before that's what Arsenal were missing and that made them quite predictable because you, you could plan for your system based on exactly who you knew would start. And, you know, even like the difference between a player like Heath versus a player like Beth Mead or Katie McCabe, like they all bring something so different to your attack equally in midfield, Marnum, Iwabuchi, like whoever it is, you're you're having to figure out different stuff, even like looking at little versus knobs. Um, So I think that's what makes Arsenal such a difficult team to figure out right now and... You know, at the moment, I just don't see how anyone in the WSL 
stops them you know like um I guess like pushing Chelsea aside because I will be interested to see what that that matchup looks like but when you're talking about until we get back to that reverse fixture like I really can't see who takes points off them yeah at this point I think it it could have it should have happened already if it was going to happen it should have happened already um and I am very curious about that return trip to Chelsea um I do think Emma Hayes it's, I think it's far more than tactics. I think it is personnel against personnel. I think Chelsea and Arsenal, it's no secret that they have the best two squads in the WSL. And I think a lot of what you mentioned there, Jesse, is is that Emma Hayes can equally do the same. Um, I mean, against Leicester, you know, Pernille Harder was on the bench. It's just little things like that. And I think Chelsea and Arsenal are, are kind of the only two that can go up against each other player per player in the quality and the depth of the bench and starting 11. Um, but looking at Everton just a little bit, Willie Kirk said this before the match and I, I genuinely laughed out loud when I read it. He said, he's like, he obviously mentioned, I'm not quite sure how to stop Viv. You need to be aware in the box. Your center backs need to be aware of where she is. And I think she seems to be moving a little less in terms of roaming around. She had a bit more free license under Joe. I think to go and find pockets of space on the pitch and then she would appear on your blind side in the box because she had been 70 yards from the goal two minutes earlier. She's playing a little higher and a little bit more central. And I think I, I actually think that that can help us. And just going off of that, um, it was really funny to see Twitter because a lot of people made fun of those quotes because there was one play in particular where Viv was in Katie McCabe's fullback position and she just dinked a little ball over for Nikita Paris um, in a pretty much two touch and it could have been a goal. I mean, just anyone who has been paying attention to Arsenal, they would either have watched uh, Viv's movement in Jonas's attack and how central she is to, to Jonas's style of play. Um, I think it is, I don't think we can say that his attack is revolved around Viv, but when you have a player like Viv, you do have her as a focal point and you make her happy. And I think Viv has said that also in an interview, how she feels she likes it personally because she does get to do a lot more than what she did under Joe and she gets to do a lot of the plays revolved around her style of play rather than the other way around, if that makes sense. Um, so I thought that was a bit funny for, for Willie Kirk to say, because I think anyone else would have noticed that Viv is actually a bit more freer and a bit more involved in different ways. I think that's a big aspect of right now. Viv is the way she's being involved in the attack is a lot more different than the way she was doing it under Joe. Um, but Abdullah, Another disappointing result for Kirk and Everton makes us eat our words in what we said in the pre-match WSL episode. But with this comment in particular and Everton's performances so far this season, two wins and three losses from five games, does this make you think that maybe Kirk still hasn't come to terms with how to get the best from his team? Yeah, I think I think you'd have to say that. I think, you know, two wins, fine, they got it. But then, you know, it's... <laughs> Again, it's just it's just too many new players in that team, and it's going to take more than five games for him to figure it out. And I think you know you you'd have thought that he'd he'd have a a shape in mind or um, something along those lines to you know where he'd be able to say, okay, this is my go-to shape, uh, and this is what I'm going to play because I've you know we've seen them playing three at the back, we've seen them play four at the back, but I, I think it's slowly starting to happen. It's there's there's a, there's a slow transition. I mean, the two wins show that, right? I mean, the fact that they've got six points on the board is uh, is a start. You know, they had a very horrible start to the season, and they got six points on there. So I think it's slow. It's happening slower than he could have he anticipated. But uh, but I think there's enough. You know, at the end of the day, there's still enough quality in that team for Everton to eventually get into a respectable position by the end of the season. You know, I, I, I think, yeah, our predictions of them being fourth is probably out the window right now because I don't think they're going to get fourth unless there's this massive turnaround from the day from when they get back and they win every game or they don't drop points. But um, no, I think, I think getting fifth, sixth would be the target right now. And I think there's enough quality in that squad to be able to reach that 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 point. I think it's just a matter of a matter of just a trial and error and practice and, and just kind of understanding who, what his players uh, give him, their strengths, their weaknesses, and uh, kind of what they go from there. And I think, I think a lot of people said that this game, this Arsenal-Everton game was going to be the one 
which was going to test both Arsenal and Everton's uh, progress with under a the new players for Everton, but b the new manager the new manager at Arsenal. And I think it's safe to say that Jonas is, has has won that battle in terms of who has progressed further with their team. And I think at the end of the day, it's, it's it is a mixture of both the, the the tactical mind of the coach and how he sets out his team and how quickly the players gel together. And I think it just just not happened for for Everton just yet. That's fair enough to say. We'll see what happens the rest of the season. But I think our predictions have pretty much gone out the window for a lot of clubs at this point. (laughs) Very disappointing. That's disappointing. But anyway, let's move on to Chelsea to Leicester City nil. Harder rescued the the win in the 83rd minute. I mentioned a Jesse Fleming assist. Applause. I'll 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 edit. I'll see if I can edit an applause there. Um, but Chelsea get themselves back in the top two of the table. Still three points from Arsenal at the top, of course, um, after that first loss of the season. But 17 goals, four and just five against. But Leicester managed to keep the game goalless until the 83rd, 83rd minute, which says a lot about Leicester. But at the same time, it's not like it was an even game to finish goalless. Chelsea finished the match with 22 attempts on goal, but just nine on target, but still Leicester just finished with four attempts and none on target. 72% possession for the Blues, and they completed 515 passes to Leicester's 215. And I think by now we all know that Chelsea isn't necessarily a team that thrives or cares that much about possession. Um, possession. So the stats just kind of say just how dominant Chelsea were. Um, I think this possession isn't necessarily something they aim for, but it's just literally just how much they had the ball and we're going at Leicester. But of course, as Jesse mentioned, a bit nervy. But before we get to that, uh, Jesse, what can you say about Leicester and what this performance highlights on their part? Yeah, they were really impressive. Um, I thought uh, Ashley Plumptro was really good. She was able to read a lot of the runs Frank Kirby especially was making, I felt. Um, I don't think Frank Kirby had a great game generally. Um, George Broom as well looked really good, but like really the shout out has to go to Kirsten Lavelle, who again kept Leicester in this game far longer than I think most other goalkeepers would have. Um, I checked her post-shot XG was 3.9. So for those who don't know, that's, you know, basically if you take two shots from the same place, they'd have the same XG. Um, but the post-shot XG kind of depends with what you next do with the shot. Um, if you kind of scuff it and it's rubbish, it will have a rubbish post-shot XG. If it's a great strike, it will have a really good post-shot XG. Anyway, so basically Chelsea shots were really pretty good and Kirsten Lavelle literally put her face at points in front of them. Uh, so, yeah, I was really impressed. Um, it was, it felt very tenacious from Leicester which isn't something we've necessarily seen from them this season I think the only I guess worry will be is like how sustainable this still is I know it's like great to get to 83 minutes against Chelsea having not conceded but ultimately they did still lose and they created literally nothing in the game so I think it's it's a tricky one I don't know how much you always play to your strengths by just trying to to sit back for as long as possible. But, um, you know, credit to them. But there aren't many teams who who hold out that long. I think that fa- that save with her face was probably, it was one of the best saves of the game also, which is really funny. Um, I saw it first time and I was like, oh my God, what a save. Then I saw the replay from kind of a side angle and realized that it hit her face and luckily went over the crossbar. Um, but that's just, that's just a big mood. That's a big mood on, on my footballing weekend anyway. But Abdullah... Biggest change to this match was introducing Anik now and for Jess Carter in that central role between Bright and Magda in that back three. Thoughts on that? And who do you prefer in that position having seen both so far? I agree. I think that was a, I think that's the move that I think a lot of people wanted to see. I think that change that center, center back and having someone else, you know, um, now and obviously being one of the bigger uh, ones to come in. I, th- I thought, I thought she performed well, at least from a on the ball perspective. I think uh, I think it's, there's no harm in saying that she wasn't tested defensively because Leicester, like Jesse said, didn't really create too much from an attacking point of view. But I think we got, we got a glimpse of the way, kind of what we expect. Uh, now into play like and I think she's very composed on the ball I think she's a very good passer of the ball and and kind of uh, and, and, I, and I, I mean for me I noticed that it allowed Magda and Millie Bright to push up a lot more than they usually did um, you know in games when Jess Card was playing I think that comes down to the fact of I think 
Nawin is a lot more of a natural cover center back, so she's she's a lot more aware of her positioning, and she she knows when she has to cover in behind the center backs. And I think at the same time, she is a um, she's naturally she's naturally more defensive, and she doesn't want to step up as much as the other two center backs. So it kind of allows the other two to step forward at a time. And I think we've been seeing a lot of uh, more on the right side with Millie Bryce. She almost plays as like this inverted, you know, like. In, in the half spaces where the number 10s are sometimes, she's kind of up there as part of an overload with the right wing back and 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 the right the right winger or the right number 10. And she kind of adds in that number, that third spot, you know? So I think it's really being able to let, get get somebody else into an attacking position. And at the same time, I think there's a, there's a trust from Brighton Erickson to run and say, okay, she's she's a lot more composed she's a lot more you know she's a lot better at the cover in terms of her reading of the game possibly i would say so you know maybe there is that that trust away that we can step forward and we know that she's going to help cover uh position i mean being that being said she is still young it was her first you know first start um but i think long term i think i i would prefer to see now in there just you know just to get that experience and i think eventually i think she she is the starting player for me in in, in that position as the central center back and Jesse, kind of similar question to you for you. But before we we, I just want to highlight Anik now, and they're actually only one year apart, which I didn't realize. But the, I think the biggest difference in this moment is their experience in, in professional football. Anik Nowen has played her only club before Chelsea was PSV in obviously in the Netherlands, um, where she played for five years, whereas Carter has obviously played for Chelsea for quite a few years, but also has been in the WSL for longer. So just the competition between the WSL and the Dutch league is is a really big difference. And then international stage, Anik Nouwen is still pretty new. Um, I think she's gotten a lot of experience so far with the national team, especially under Serena Wiegmann under the last uh, few international breaks, but also she's really new at that. And you see kind of the unsteadiness at the national level so far. So I think that's one kind of big highlight to, to kind of point out there in terms of their experience. But Jesse again similar question who do you want to see in that central position going forward against maybe better opposition I mean I think my ultimate answer is that I want to see Millie Bright and Mara Mielda to play right side of centre back um, that would probably be my ideal but um, let's leave Maren out of the picture yet because I think it's going to be still quite a while before she's ready despite Emma Hayes putting her on the bench against Wolfsburg because she thought that would be funny tricky I don't know I, I I was like, she's clearly not ready and she's not going to be in squads. Since. Mind so, games. Yeah, classic Emma Hayes mind games. I don't know what the sight of Marami Elder on the bench was meant to do, but hey, hey, other than do good content for the social media team beforehand. Um, but yeah, for me, it, I would prefer to play now. Um, I... Jess Carter has just made one too many errors for me. Alex was sitting next to me at the Wolfsburg game. She can attest to my general grumpiness. I get that, you know, now I doesn't have as much WSL experience, but actually her international experience, even though she's looked nervous at points, has been on a much higher and more intense stage. So I kind of think that that counts for a lot more. Um, and I think her passing's better. I just feel like a lot more confident in her, not necessarily because of her, but just because of, unfortunately, Jess Carter. I just think it's like too easy for teams to target her. I think she makes too many errors when she's not even under that much pressure. And I would prefer to at least take the chance with Anique now for a, a little bit, for a like run of games at least, and, and see kind of how she holds up to the pressure. Because, yeah, for me, the Jess Carter train is staying in the station now i can definitely attest to the grumpiness before wolfsburg wolfsburg wow wolfsburg equalized uh, i mean chelsea equalized it was not a fun position to be in sitting next to jesse but we'll, we'll get to that in the champions league episode that we'll record in the next few weeks but abdullah other than players chelsea players not finishing their chances um again quite a few saves from the keeper um, really good shots from Pernia Harder, for example. Uh, but what were Chelsea getting wrong or what were Leicester getting so right in this match? 
I think we've got to we got to remember and understand that there were eight or nine changes to this Chelsea side coming into this game. So you know the, the first choice eleven per se weren't really on the you know were playing. And I think eventually when you know when when the first choice players did come on, your Sam Kerr is playing Lahades, and I think especially when Guru Wrighton came on, I think there was a sudden change in the way Chelsea were playing. And I think it was a result of those changes where they got the uh, where they got that goal uh, from Panila Harder. Um, but I think it was down to tempo. I think, I think, I think, I think, don't think they were as quick, you know, with the play, um, you know, at the start. Uh, and I think slowly as, as and when they got there, I think, I think the wide players, the two wingbacks have become probably two of the most important players outside of the front three uh, in the system, because a lot of the play runs through them, especially down the left-hand side. And um, while John Anderson didn't have the worst game in the world, I just didn't think she was, I think you could see the rustiness, you know, of not having the match fitness and not being able to, not having that run of games. And I think the minute Guru Wrighton came on, we instantly saw her really running those lines, running those channels and being able to get on the ball and having that, you know, that that, that extra touch um, where she was able to cross the ball in or pass or whatever and understand. So uh, I think I think we have to put it down to the fact that just Chelsea made so many changes that I don't think we could have expected. You know, in some ways you couldn't, you wouldn't expect like a ton of goals in the beginning or, or very fluid, rather not even ton of goals, but fluid play. I think once we started seeing the regular players come back in, uh, that happened. But I think you're going to have to play games like this where you're going to make eight to nine changes because I think we've said it before, you're going to need to use this squad coming down the season and with the group stages there and every, three, you know, like in this last one week, they played Wolfsburg, Brighton, and now they're playing Juventus at the time of recording, they're playing, it, they're playing them uh, tomorrow. Um, you're going to need to utilize the squad and the more you can give players like Drew Spence, Beth England, John Anderson, uh, time in, in games, the better it is, it's better it is going to be for Emma Hayes in January, February, March, when they're going to really need these players to step up and you know in case there's an injury crisis then you're going to need these players to be playing you know you know weeks uh, weeks on end so i think i think it was a needed uh, needed game for them but uh you know I, I think it was more down to the fact there was so many changes and now moving on to the managerial battle of box to box right into tottenham one Tottenham's first loss of the season um, it came against Hope, Hope Pals Brighton so that's that's pretty interesting uh, Jesse we're going to put that down to you but yeah an unfortunate second yellow for Rachel Williams for what I thought was an even 50-50 aerial duel I don't know if you guys saw it um, but I think the ref thought because it was a head collision so the, the Brighton player was obviously on the floor after a head collision just like anyone else would um, I think the ref potentially thought that Rachel Williams came into this duel with, with her elbows up which was definitely not the case it was just shoulder to shoulder each player is heading the, the opposite way heads collide and that's pretty much it um, so I think that was really really unlucky for, for Tottenham um, though Brighton's second goal um, obviously when when this happened Brighton were, were just up 1-0 um, but Brighton's second goal an eventual winner came from a corner kick and not open play. So you can't really put it down to, to being a player up. Uh, but Jesse, from what you saw and not taking much into account this red card in the 76th minute, was this a justifiable scoreline? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I thought it was a really, really harsh red card. I didn't really know what the, the ref was thinking about there. But um, I felt from what I did see that it was a justifiable scoreline. I felt like Brighton were the best team. I've since looked like the kind of the, the stats and I was like, oh, it's funny. It just didn't really feel that way in the game. It, it Especially in the first half, it really felt like Brighton were on top. I think they hit the bar twice. Dan Carter and Anessa Kagman both, both hit the bar. Um, and I think there's a really nice link up between those two players, which is really exciting for Brighton going forward. I thought Lee was really good as well, coming back inside, I believe she had COVID. So um, yeah, I, I do think Brighton deserved to win. I felt like this was kind of probably what's been coming Tottenham's way at some point this season. No offence, Rahan. Just because, you know, there, there have been a couple of games where maybe they've done well with the chances they've got or, you know, things have gone their way in without necessarily it being overwhelmingly necessary for them to go this way. And I felt like this game, it was just kind of tipping back the scales in the other direction a bit. And yeah, looking at the stats in this game, it's it was pretty even um, looking just at the numbers, but Tottenham finished with 15 attempts on goal to Brighton, 17. Spurs 
just edged possession at 53%. Um, and outside of the city game, we haven't really seen Tottenham matched up in this way just yet, kind of being head-to-head with everything. And, and I think, yeah, as Jesse mentioned, I do think that Brighton might have just edged the overall advantage of the game. Abdullah, do you think that these games are the threshold of what, you know, Ryan Skinner's and Tottenham's football can stand? Or do you think that they're potentially just a little bit better than this? No, I think I think this is kind of where... Um... I think that's kind of where Tottenham are, and I think this is where Tottenham are, are. You know, can can at least with sides that are on level pegging with them. I think this is the best, uh, just in and around the best they can do. Maybe there's a there's half a gear or a gear more that they can get into, but I think this is kind of where they're at. And I mean, you just look at it. I mean, 15 attempts on goal to Brighton 17 is not bad. I mean, it's just a two point difference. Sorry, two shot differential between the two sides, and they they did hold the majority of possession just about. So, I mean, they've got the players to be able to play a style of play that can give them, I mean, they've got some good players uh, going forward. And I think, I think, um, you know, with 15 attempts and you got 53% possession, I think there is a scope for them to be able to really hold the ball and, and keep it and, and try and, find their way forward. You know, Kit Graham's uh, one of the better players uh, going forward and, you know, she even scored the goal. But I, I don't know. I think, I think you know, we're seeing a better Tottenham side this season overall than we have done in, you know, in the last season or two. I'd like to see them against, again, similar leveled opposition and just see if they can maintain this sort of um, play and this sort of style because, I mean, if they can kind of hold on and have this many attempts on goal and, and this much possession and kind of, you know, create chances then i think they're 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 in for a decent season you know to come at the end of the season and come you know a decent mid-table uh, uh position and jesse speaking on that you know brighton don't sit in a terrible position going into this international break fifth in the table with three wins and two losses from five their next match is everton which again that could be a head-to-head on that but what do you think of this brighton side can they challenge for that top four spot giving they should beat everton potentially yeah, I think that Everton game will be really interesting because a bit like this Tottenham game, you know, um, there are teams that have started well, I guess Brighton, Tottenham, and there are teams with squads which think they should have started better like Everton and, and to see how those all like wash out is is really interesting. I think what Brighton have got is the knowledge that they're a well-drilled side defensively, um, I think. I've been like really quite impressed with Megan Walsh's season. I think she's been a bit less flappy than maybe we've seen her in past seasons. But now also what they've added with having Dan Carter and Lee Hyun-min consistently in the squads is real genuine attack and goal threat. It doesn't feel like they're relying on Inessa Kagman's penalties, although it is, of course, nice knowing you've got such a reliable penalty taker in your team too. We haven't really even seen Brinsola Babajide get in like get her teeth really stuck into this side yet. I think that's like one like red flag that I'm really intrigued to see how it plays out that she's not really been incorporated a huge amount so far. Um, and I really hope for her sake that that kind of comes along. And I do think if Hope Power can make it work, that's like a really exciting asset for Brighton to be able to have as well. But I definitely think like on paper, the way these players are starting to build relationships, you know, it's similar to Tottenham in some ways as well. You know, having those consistent starting 11s, I think you can really see them all beginning to link up and benefit each other. And I think Brighton with a player like Dan Carter have a, a like consistent goal scorer that I feel like they can really look to rely on. And Abdullah, looking at, at Tottenham, these two goals conceded against Brighton weren't defensively the, the greatest. Where do you think that they should improve defensively? You know, I, I was I was you know re rewatching the two goals and they actually came down to like pretty sloppy mistakes. It's something that was very, very easily avoidable. There wasn't even like a system failure. It was literally kind of like we talked about Chelsea, you know, against Wolfsburg and then before it's just stupid player mistakes that are easily avoidable. If they don't make that pass or they don't make that, that, that sort of movement, then, you know, they clear the ball and then they're back to square one. Um, you know, given, um, given the way, you know, Spurs have played this season. I mean, if we, if we really look at the, their last couple of games, they kept a clean sheet against Leicester city. They conceded obviously two against Brighton. Now uh, they conceded just, they, they beat Man City, they conceded one, they kept a clean sheet against Reading. So, Defensively, they've actually been pretty good, even a clean sheet against uh, Birmingham and then obviously the four goals against Arsenal. We, we keep that aside. But against teams at their level, at, at their own level, and at this point, you'd have to say Man City are in and around the same uh, you know, uh, place on the table as them. 
they've actually been very defensively good and they've been defensively tight. The Brighton game could have easily ended up being a draw or even a win for Tottenham if they just kind of didn't make those stupid mistakes. Because other than that, uh, it wasn't. Um, I, I think. I think. I think they still had. I mean, I think Becky. I think Becky Spence has been uh, a very, very good goalkeeper for them. I think she's made some outstanding saves. And I had to say, I think this WSL week we've seen some outstanding saves uh, from goalkeepers. Whether it was, uh, you know, from the Leicester game, it was from the United game. Mary Erbs had a couple of fantastic saves in that first half. So I think the quality of goalkeeping has definitely improved. Uh, this season already, but yeah, I think Tottenham is just down to keep doing what they're doing and just like if just not making sloppy mistakes like this uh, when when they come back again. Moving on to West Ham one, Birmingham City one. So West Ham managed a two 0 win over Manchester City last week and now drew one one with Birmingham City. Um, Jesse, do you have an explanation to this? Incredibly simply, it's that West Ham took their held held on well and took their chance against City. And here they did not make the best of their their chances against Birmingham. I mean, Claudia Walker's goal was obscene um, and, and and really well taken. But uh, Katarina Svitkova had two really good chances that I think she probably should have scored both. Um, and and one of them was after after the Birmingham equaliser. And then the zonal marking that was going on for for the uh, Birmingham goal was like genuinely atrocious. So I feel like maybe this is a bit of like a Man City hangover when you've like really, really concentrated in the game and then you just let those like lapses of concentration happen in, in what is ostensibly the easier, well, is the easier game. Um, but saying that, you know, I think Birmingham is still like, they've got like a little spark about them. Like I love watching Jade Pennock like buzz around. I think she's a really exciting player and I'm, I'm really enjoying seeing her in this league. So, you know, they, they're off the bottom now. Leicester at the bottom with zero points. So it'll be interesting to to kind of see what happens for them. It should definitely be. And, and I still... I want to mention Louise Quinn because obviously she did score this Birmingham City goal but uh, Louise Quinn I think I can talk about her always um, I was actually watching Kaz Carney and, and Kelly Smith on Monday Night Football and Sky Sports and I'm pretty sure it was Kaz who put Louise Quinn as their centre back in the starting 11 best starting 11 in the WSL so that says quite a lot um, but Abdullah we did talk about Ollie Harder a little bit on this podcast particularly um, Jesse um, but why hasn't he been able to get consistency with his results so far? Honestly it's a tough one because they've had these these mixed results. Um, they've had these mixed results this season that you know you one you know one day you think oh wow West Ham are on this you know they're on the up and I think they're gonna have they're gonna have the great run you know you see the win against Man City last week and then you know and then obviously before that they had that nice four 0 win over Leicester City and then you see results like. The one one against Birmingham, and then the one one against Villa, and then you have that two 0 loss to Brighton with the red card. And I think you, you think, where is this team going? Are they be why are they not being able to get results? And I think it just comes down to the fact of just 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 you know, me, you know, mental consistency. I think I don't think the tactics too far not you know different from you know week to week. So you know, it's it's a very difficult one to put my you know to to put put a to put my finger on because. You know, it has to just come down to the fact of um, consistency in terms of their their mentality. Like you know, they maybe it's it's like they work so hard one week to get a win, whether it's City or you know or like Leicester, or whoever else. And then it's like the next week they're so mentally fatigued, which shouldn't be the case so early in the season, um, that they then end up having this lapse in concentration. I mean, it's not like they have a, the easiest game to come back to against Arsenal after the international break, but uh, you know. Um, who knows if we're going by the same trend, they should be winning that game. So we'll see what happens. We shall see. They have three weeks to recover from the hangover. So potentially, um, but moving on to the last game of the weekend, Reading three, Aston Villa nil. Reading finally managed their first one of the season, having lost their four opening matches. And Aston Villa enjoyed a better start to the season with two wins, one drawn, one loss before this match. For me, it was, it was a bit, of a surprising result, not necessarily because Reading won, but 3 0 is is a big result considering the start of the seasons. But Jesse, is this result surprising for you? I mean, I think it is surprising on the face of it, but when you watch it, it's like basically Reading scored three ridiculous goals. Um and you know, Aston Villa just Reading scored twice so early. It was like so easy for them just to sit back and like kind of soak up any 
pressure Villa had and they just weren't really able to, to unlock them in, in any way. So I think for Kelly Chambers, it is still a bit of a concern because I didn't feel like they were loads better than Aston Villa. It was just that, you know, everyone who seemed to take a shot from outside the box, it just like flew into the top corner. I think... The only thing for Villa that I do wonder is if it's starting to get a bit of a worry is, you know, Deanne Rose, I think, is settling in really well at Reading. She had a really good game um, against Villa uh, and she really, like, pulled Anita Asante, like, out of position a lot and Asante just struggled with her a lot. And I do wonder if that's becoming a bit of a, an easy pick for, for these, like, lower who do just have like a fast player to kind of put her on Asante and then and then like use the space that then opens up. So I think that would be like my concern if I was Carla Ward right now. But if I was Kelly Chambers, I would be also still concerned that I hadn't really put together anything that good attacking wise. So basically just be concerned if you're a Reading or Aston Villa fan. That's be concerned. <laughs> We warn you. Anyway, um, Abdullah, have you similar question for you looking at both Reading and Aston Villa's start to the season? Have you been surprised by the start or is it kind of more or less what you expected now that you've seen them, the way they've played and, and what the managers both have done? I think, yeah, I, th- I think I think it's it's pretty much where where they're at. Um, you know, at the, I mean, after this collection of games, I mean, they, they did lose their first three. It was United, Everton, and Chelsea, so not the easiest start, uh, you know, to the season. And they expectedly, you know, lost those games. And then they they had a comeback win against uh, Leicester and a draw at West Ham, and then a win against Brighton. So I think that spell of three games was obviously their best run. And then now they've lost their last two. So I think it's it is it is inconsistency, and I think you know the lack of real goal scoring, kind of what Jesse's saying, uh, is if for both teams. I think is is kind of the key aspect there. And um, you know, uh, it's I don't know. I mean, they've had. I mean both teams have had standout moments i would say no one's you know you know particularly had um in an amazing season just yet. I think there have been a couple of decent players on um, both teams. I think Mas Pacheco's had a decent season so far uh, from left back for Aston Villa. Um, but, you know, other than that, I think we are where we are and um, it's going to be these two fighting to be in that lower middle order of the table. Yeah, I'm definitely interesting to see how the rest of the season goes. Um, I think it's a, these three weeks will be kind of a lot of reflection for a lot of managers so far this season. And it would be interesting to see what happens in the next little section of before the next international break obviously but that is everything from us this WSL week you can keep up to date with the latest episodes at boxbox WSL on twitter make sure you give us a follow there and check out our personal twitters area who you can find in our bio um but if you did not see the tweet that we put out we have decided to do one women's champions league episode each month to talk about what's been happening in the group stages instead of just one episode per match week um so with the international big that's likely when we will record the next champions league episode obviously to talk about a lot of lot a lot of things that have happened and a lot of things that will happen this week as well but yeah if you listen to us on a podcast feed that allows you to rate and review we would love that if you could send us nice words and give us stars pretty pretty please um but other than that thank you again for listening and we will see you next time bye-bye bye-bye